listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at bethanynaz.org. We have a guy whose name is Don Van Zant, who has been a part of our church for a long time. Uh, my wife and Nat and I were at lunch with he and his wife Trinket just a couple of weeks ago, and we spent a lot of our conversation talking about what they are dealing with in their life. So Don has been diagnosed with a very rare form of intestinal cancer, and it's just a tough, tough diagnosis. And so somewhere along the way, he began to talk to his son, Stephen and Brady, whom he's very close with. It's, it's a father and two sons that have played a lot of golf together over the years and just have a great relationships with one another. And, and they begin to decide about the possibility of chronicling this cancer journey on a video podcast. And so that's what they started doing. And I remember I listened to the first, watched the first video podcast of them talking very openly about this journey. So I, I don't know how to say it in any other way except to say they don't dress it up. It's, it's raw. They're honest. They're talking about what this is. And, and I listened to it and I called him and I said, Don, let me tell you, God spoke to me. And, and I think God's going to speak to other people. And I don't know how hard it is to do this, but if you can keep doing it, I, I think there's some real value in, in telling your story and sharing your journey. And so I watched the second one a couple of weeks ago, and they're doing a third one this week. But in the second one, he quotes a line from a song that Mercy Me sings. And the line is, I'm going to know what it means to live. And not just be alive. So Don is saying to me, Rick, here's the deal. With, with what I got left, and I don't know what I got left, but whatever it is, my life is not going to look like it's been looking all these years. I'm going to know what it is to live and not just be alive. I, I tell my wife, Annette, people like Don can see something that I can't see. They're looking through a different lens. And even though they tell me about it, I don't get it. Because I'm not in their shoes. But they have been given this gift to see life in a very, very different way. And Don is saying to me, I just feel like, you know, you get into this routine of life and, and it just kind of loses meaning and you're just going and you're just going through the motions and he says, not anymore, not for me, man. I'll no longer be content. I have felt something. And I refuse to not feel again. I have experienced something deep. And I refuse to not continue to experience something deep from this point on. God has created me uniquely. Formed me. To live a life that he has created me to live and whatever I got left, I'm going to live that life that God created me to live. You might remember if you were around 11 years ago. That in my very first series here, it was called Your Picture of God. It was from a book written by a guy named James Brian Smith. We used that book to guide the series. 
And, and he was talking about how we have false narratives of God. And, and I remember saying to you, you're carrying around a picture, um, an image of what you believe God is like. What if you've got the wrong picture? What, what if that picture that you have of God is not the right picture? What if, what if God is very different than how you ex- believe he is? And, and I began to challenge you to make sure that you had the right view of God. He wrote another book recently called The Good and Beautiful You. Where he challenges false narratives about you. And so what do you believe about humanity? If, if theology is the study of the nature of God, which I believe it is. If theology is the study of the nature of God, then anthropology is the study of the nature of humanity. So look at me. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to try to get around the room, okay? Do you have a clear sense of what it means to be human? What do you think God sees when he sees you? In other words, could we think about anthropology from God's view? And I'll spend five weeks with you talking about you from God's view. Can I tell you what God sees when he sees you? I'll give you a scripture. Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. You want to know where you came from? That's where you came from, right there. Pile of dust. But he didn't leave you a pile of dust because it says, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So you're not just a pile of dust, but you're a living pile of dust. But you're more than that. Because man became a living, say the word with me, soul. You have a soul. When God sees you, God sees an embodied soul. In fact, I'm going to challenge you to think of yourself that way. To see yourself as a soul before anything else. And to think of yourself as an embodied soul. This this all that you're seeing up here, all this good looking stuff that you're looking at right now, that's just the embodiment, right? Right? But the very essence of who I am is a soul. God looks at you and he sees an embodied soul. We had a shoe repairman that had a shop down the street from where I worked in Cincinnati. And I would go in there with a pair of shoes on occasion and this guy was not friendly at all. I'm always trying to get him to talk a little bit, but he didn't want to talk to me. And so one day I came up with something I thought was kind of cool. And I handed him my shoes and I'm telling him what I need done. And I said, you and I have something in common. And he kind of grunts out, what? 
And I said, we both care for the souls of others. He just kind of looked at me like he was disappointed. And he said, you're a preacher. I said, I am. And you are a shoe repairman. My mama, all those years growing up in Kentucky, used to say about people, she's a good old soul. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody tell me they found their soulmate. Sometimes they really hadn't. And sometimes, like you, I need a good cup of chicken soup for the soul. Does it matter that you view yourself as an embodied soul? It does. And here's why. Our souls is that about us that longs for God. Our souls know there is a God. Our souls is that aspect of our being that understands what matters. It is your soul that deeply longs to know God. So in the 42nd Psalm, there's some words that I think are going to help us in the conversation. It's written by the sons of Korah. They were assumed by many to be worship leaders in the time of King David. And one of them, or more than one of them, writes this psalm. And starts with some beautiful imagery, okay? As the deer pants for streams of water. So think about a deer running through the meadow, running through the woods. A deer out looking for water, a deer panting, ready, needing to drink. You know, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my, oh, there's that word. What is it? So my soul pants for you, my God. There it is again. My what? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Your soul is that part of you that longs for God. Your soul is that part of you that thirsts for God. When can I go and meet with God? He's probably talking about going to the temple in Jerusalem. And probably for some reason he is not able to go do that. My tears have become my food day and night. It's like I don't even have an appetite. I can't eat. I just want to be in God's presence. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? Probably his enemies are saying in your greatest point of need, God is nowhere to be found. But these things I remember as I pour out my what? You're getting quieter and quieter as the morning goes on. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He's talking about those festival days like Passover when thousands of pilgrims would come into Jerusalem and they would worship together and be in the presence of God together. I want to be in the presence of God, he says. And then when you get to the next five or six verses, five through ten, it's just despair. And my soul is downcast. And God, why have you forgotten me? But he finds hope again in verse 11. 
Why, my soul, are you downcast? He kind of gives himself a speech. Why are you so dumb in the mouth? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. When you're longing for God, when he seems like he's a long way away, when your soul is hungry for God, put your trust in him. Sometimes I think about weird things like most of us do. And one of the weird things I've been thinking about lately is, is my, my body and how it is created and how my body functions. And so it's interesting to me that, that at a certain point, um, I, I fall asleep. I just, I, my body, everything just stops. I mean, I'm out. So it's, it's not uncommon for Annette and I, if we get home, maybe, you know, after dinner or something, it's, it's 8.30 or 9, and, 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 you know, do you want to go up to the bonus room for a while? Yeah. Sometimes I drag my laptop up. She's got puzzles she works on or something. And sometimes she'll say, you want to turn on the television? You want to watch something? I'm just like, sure. She says, what do you want to watch? And I go, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be asleep in 15 minutes. You should watch something you want. I've, I've had a long day. Any other men in the rooms tend to do that kind of thing? Yeah. So, thanks for testifying. So, I think that what happens is that, you know, you're, you're just going, you're going, and finally, it's like my phone. If I don't charge it up, it just shuts off at some point. That's what my body does. It just, I'm done. My laptop. Middle of the day, I've got to go plug it in. I don't want it to die. I, I think about how our bodies relate to food and water as well. Did you know that if you don't eat for a prolonged period of time, you'll eventually die? True story. Even shorter if you don't drink. If you don't drink anything for a period of time, your body will just shut off. Not asleep. Dead. And the psalmist says, that's exactly what God is to me. He is the only thing that gives me life. If my soul is not connected to Him, I live with hunger and thirst. Because my soul longs for God. So Jesus talked a lot about your soul too. I'll give you three examples. Here's one in the Gospel of Matthew. He replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your... That was a little better. And with all of your mind. And then he says it this way. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Your soul need rest. And then he talks about how you can actually lose your soul. Look at this. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? In other words, you possess something that is worth greater value than anything in the world that you possess. And that something that you possess that is worth greater value than anything else in the world is your soul. You're not just a lump of dust that has life in it. You are an embodied soul. 
So you say, Rick, if God created me and I became a living soul, and if Jesus says that my soul is valuable more than anything else, and if the psalmist says that my soul hungers for God, then what's the issue? The issue is we are living in the 20th century with a false narrative. And I'm quoting James Bryan Smith here. He says the false narrative is simply this. Not you are a soul. The false narrative is you are a self. We have substituted the word soul for self. You take care of yourself now, will you? Y'all better watch out for yourself. You need to practice good self-care. And it's truly a substitute. Here's why I would say that. In the Greek, the word psychos literally means the soul. Psychology is actually the study of the soul, not the self. You say, why does that matter? Or why is that important, the substitution? That, that all of these years, it was all about the soul. But in the 20th century, we don't talk about the soul. We talk about the self. Why is that an issue? And let me quote James Bryan Smith to you here. I think this will be very helpful. And this may make it to the point that you say, I'm going to go buy the book. He says, the self is interested in survival. And it finds its value in how it looks. What it possesses and what others say about it. Anybody in the room say, when I think about myself, you know, I'm concerned about how I look and I'm concerned about what I possess and I'm concerned about what others say about me. But he says the self also thrives on the currencies of money, sex and power, on resumes, branding, accomplishments, notoriety. Physical appearance and entertainment. That's what the self is about. Not the soul. You remember the soul is that part about you that longs for God. So let me ask it this way. What if, what if I said to you, Instead of you need to look out for yourself, you need to look out for your soul. Whoa. That's earth shaking. They don't seem anything similar to each other. What if we reversed the substitute? What if we said, no, we're not settling for the substitute? What if, what if when you got ready to leave the building today, I'm standing out in the foyer and I wave goodbye and I say, take care of yourself. But instead I said, take care of your soul. I'm going to do it in the foyer today. And what if instead of me saying you need to practice good soul care, I said you need rather good self-care. What if I said, you know, you really need to practice good soul care. And you would say, those are two very different conversations to me. 
But somehow in your world and my world, one has been eliminated and another word has been put in its place. So let me tell you a James Bryan Smith story. He said, when I was um, really beginning to publish my writing, I sat down with a mentor and friend named Richard Foster. I remember reading Richard Foster when I was in college. And he said to me, James, your life is about to change. People are starting to become aware of your work. And uh, your life's going to look different from now on. I want to say something to you as a friend, James. I want you to remember this. I want you to take care of your soul. He said, I didn't know really what he meant. And I felt like maybe he was trying to, you know, build me up a bit. Or I said, well, I don't know what that means, but thanks for the advice. He says, no, James, write it down. Your life is about to change. And and you've got to take care of your soul. He said, I wrote it down on a napkin, and I kept the napkin, but I didn't remember it, and I didn't take his advice. And my life did change. I went from being a professor at a university and a part-time preaching pastor to church to running a very large global ministry. We had more resources than we ever thought we would have dumped on us. I had a growing staff, a growing ministry, I was traveling the nation and traveling the world. My schedule was unbelievable. We were doing it all in the name of God, and we were amazed at how we felt like God was using us in ways that we never really dreamed that God would use us. But he said, I found myself with no joy. And I finally found myself with no energy for ministry. And he said, this is the mistake that I made. I put doing work for God above the care of my soul. And I ended up in front of a counselor. And he led me on a spiritual journey back to God. If the false narrative is you are a self, then the true narrative is you have a soul. It matters what you think about yourself. It matters that you believe your soul is the essence of your being. You are an embodied soul. Do you know what I do every time I'm at a cemetery overseeing a graveside service? I say, Lord, you made us from the dust of the ground and you breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. But you also said that one day we would return to the dust from where we came. And so we're here today to return the body back to the dust But the soul, the very essence of who this person is, is not here. They are with you. Every time I go to a graveside, I pray that prayer. 
you experience life and your soul um, deeply feels what you experience. A few years ago, I broke my hip. The fix was a hip replacement. Hospital a couple of days. We were out of town. Spent the night after I got to the hospital. Traveled back home. Get, you know, a night's sleep. Get up the next day. Friends show up trying to make sure we got everything we need for me to function. As I'm now in the process of trying to recover. Finally, they all leave. The dust settles. I'm sitting in a chair in my living room. Never forget it. My, my awesome wife. Hey, Nat. Comes over and gets on her knees beside my chair. She just looks deep into my eyes. Then she puts her arms around me and she hugs me. We hadn't really had that moment, you know. And I started to cry. Not the, not the pretty cry. It was the ugly cry. You know. And then my crying just got worse and worse. And we just sat there and held each other. And the two of us just shook and cried. I understand it. We experience life and it's our souls that feel so deeply. Jim Brown. Jim Brown died this week. I remember the day that Jim set him office and told me that he didn't have much time left on this earth. He said, I'm going to die young. But he was so full of faith. Would I love to live longer? You betcha. But it doesn't look like, unless God does a miracle, I'm going to get to. But pastor, I'm going to heaven. He was just so upbeat for a guy that was told, it's just a few months now, Jim. He was so positive. And then I said to him, how are your kids doing? And with that same face and smile and, and that same positive, he tried for one word, but his voice cracked. His eyes filled with tears. I could see his throat tighten. He holds up his hand. He shakes his head. He rips his glasses off his face. He grabs a tissue. And he becomes an emotional wreck. And I realized what was important to Jim Brown. I can handle it. I can go through this. I don't want my kids to go through it. it it's our souls that feel so deeply. We experience life and we feel it. I, I get it when somebody calls me to meet me at a restaurant or to come by my office and they, and they confess the minute they hit the seat some major sin. Because our souls can't carry those kinds of secrets. We're not a clump of dirt 
with life in it. We're more than that. We're a living soul and our souls fill deeply. And we can't just go through life as if nothing's up knowing that there's this major sin that I've committed. I've got to, I've got to confess it. I, I understand when somebody says, and Emily, I remember it was you. I, I came to church for the first time in years and I cried through the whole thing. It's because our, our souls long for God. It's our souls that long for something deeper. Here's some good news. God has provided everything that our souls need in Christ Jesus. Think about it, okay? We long for God, right? Jesus says, I'll take the sin away so you can be connected to God. Nothing between you and God. God provides everything that you need for your soul in Christ Jesus. You need community to belong to. I'll give you a community of faith. Right here you go. You need forgiveness. We offer that. You need to be raised to new life in Christ. Here you go. You need purpose and you need meaning. That's what your soul really craves. We got it. In Christ Jesus, God provides everything that your soul needs. And it's the only place that you can find it. And so I would say to you, don't be downcast, oh my soul. Just turn to God. He offers your soul everything your soul needs. Anybody agree? So, Lord, here we are in this moment. You've spoken into our souls today. We've been moved by your word. And it just feels like it's one of those days where we just kind of rest a minute right here. And, and maybe, Lord, this is how we respond today, just by being in your presence and saying, God, I, I think you're talking to me. I, I, th I think I'm hearing you. I think you're speaking to me. We live in a society that continually delivers false narratives about who we are. But we turn to your word and we learn that we're, we're not a self. We're a living soul. So we would love to see ourselves from your view. Give us the grace to do that. In Jesus' name.
God is more than enough to handle all that goes on in our lives. Be reminded this morning that you have a soul. Take good care of it. As you come today and you've heard all of these things, may you go out into the world and give our world the message of hope and peace and love that you've heard here today. You are dismissed. Thank you so much for being with us today. You are loved. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.